You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. The Dinner for Geeks podcast. Four geeks eating dinner. Opinion. Batman Begins was interminable. Screw all of you people in your backstory. Okay? <laughs> it's, no, it's no Grease 2, I'll tell you that. I don't think she was ever hotter than in Grease 2, and I hate to say that because I'm not a musical man. Maxwell Caulfield, also never hotter than in Grease 2. <laughs> Question. Why in God's name did Kenner decide to go, you know, we just don't like the head on that solo figure. Let's redo it and make it look ridiculous. Who is Naven Jones? Story. <laughs> you don't have a gun. And you don't think you're... you're I don't think I'm responsible enough. No. Yeah, yeah. And I do have a gun, but I started thinking, I don't think I'm responsible enough. <laughs> well, it's a small gun, so I called it my holdout blaster. <laughs> If you're calling it a blaster, you're probably not responsible. <laughs> and the one time I was... calling it pop And the one time I thought of buying another gun, it was a broom-handled Mauser. Oh, no. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I talked to my uncle who was a gun guy. I told him what I wanted to get. He goes, why would why? you want that? <laughs> and I told him, he goes, maybe you don't need a gun. <laughs> and dinner. We got seasonal food. For not yeah. Uh, you got any pickles back there? No. Dinner4geeks.libsyn.com or in the Apple iTunes store under Dinner for Geeks. It's like an Easter egg you don't have to look real hard to find. Just to clarify, though, nobody has Carmine Infantino against Mother Teresa or Jesus Christ, correct? <laughs> no, no, no I do not. Okay, so this is going to be slightly more classy than last month. <laughs> I don't think anybody died last month, so it was more free-for-all. <laughs> All right, I expect these guys have to work tomorrow, so we probably should go ahead oh, and I get in. No, I just have to drive. <laughs> Seven hours. <laughs> That's work. But I'll be listening to podcasts the whole way, so awesome. I can get caught up oh. on a lot of podcasts. Yeah, I've been getting caught up on uh, on Andy's show lately. I felt bad because I'd gotten so far behind, so I've been listening to that. Always oh, knocking that out of the park, man. It's not road. hard to fall behind on Andy's show because it just keeps coming. Well, especially when it was when, we, when they were the back, the old ones and the new ones. Yeah. <laughs> I just listened to the first two episodes of his uh, of his uh, Happy Birthday Superman retrospective, and it just makes me just want to throw down my equipment and be like. Pfft this i'm out that boy's knocking out of the park dude he he's doing a killer show i don't know where the hell he's finding the time to do all the research he's doing but he's he's doing a bang up job he makes us look like a couple of pikers it's awesome <laughs> we aren't <laughs> well, yeah this is true and now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hard-working people. I'm Batman. Who's 
whoever holds this hammer. If he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. This looks like a job for Superman. Comics Monthly Monday, number 50. 50 already, can you believe it? And I am Scott Gardner, and I am joined as always by my besties pal, Chris Honeywell. Hello. <laughs> also by Paul. What, what, what are we, we going to go? God, we'll go with Godfather. Paul Godfather Spataro. How you doing? <laughs> And our special guest for this episode, all the way from Back to the Bins, is Bill, uh, Gullah Bill Robinson. <laughs> I'm no longer Gullah Bill. <laughs> I'm Dr. Bill. Dr. William Robinson. <laughs> Dr. J. Robinson. Real life with Dr. William Robinson. <laughs> oh, and this one is going to be something of a mixed bag episode, I can tell already, because we've all... Uh, We've all been cutting up behind the scenes before we get started, but we do have we have a serious topic. However, we we want to have fun with this one and uh, and and try to uh, you know both be respectful and uh, and just have a good time and uh, and uh, have a, a remembrance of sorts. What we're talking about this episode is uh, recently on uh, April fourth of this year. One of the legends, the absolute legends of uh, comic books, uh, sadly passed away, and that was Mr. Carmine Infantino, who, uh, I mean, he, he helped usher in the uh, the Silver Age of comics. So just, you know, one of those legendary uh, comic book creators. And so we're just going to be kind of taking a look at uh, his work and, uh, and his legendary uh, body of stuff that he's done for comics and everything. And uh, we'll even have a, a comic of his that we're going to be talking about a little bit later in the show. But before we get into any of that, what do you guys got for, uh, for preamble? What's new for you in the world of comic books? I don't have anything much in the world of comic books, but I do in the world of Two True Freaks. Ah. The secret project it's it's about time that we start revealing it not completely but two true com is on the way <gasps> oh yeah 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 tell us more chris it's it's <laughs> it's being built as we speak as we speak by um and i'm not going to say his last name because i can i don't know how to pronounce it yet i <laughs> should have asked him i've talked to him for hours but Mike, who does the Mike's, uh, we we all know him as Mike's Amazing World dot com. That's uh, uh, actually it's a DC DC Indexes dot com. Is that right? Or DC Comics? In, hang on, I'll look it up real quick. I think oh, we are so professional. Going, I think you can get if, there just by going Mike's Amazing World dot com. That's true. That's true. Yeah, because he does Marvel as well. Yep. Yeah, we we had Mike on Back to the Bins, and he's he's a great guy. Voyles is his last name. Mike Voyles is, it, is it how it's um is that how it's pronounced? Yep. 
I knew what it looked like. I just didn't know how to say it with my talker. <laughs> but um, uh, he's already starting to put it together, and it's starting to look beautiful. We have big plans. Can't wait for to bust it out. But um, you know, from this point on, I think we're going to be uh, kissing Mike's amazing world's butt, <laughs> one end of this country to the other. And we should because we've used that website enough times as a reference, especially in in this show and Back to the Bins, and probably Tales of the JSA. And you know, if you're if you're trying to figure out some little bit of information from a comic, you're probably going to end up on his on one of his, you know, web pages. Oh, I'm telling you, his it's just an incredible, incredible resource. Mm-hmm. That uh, I I use it all the time, especially for show research and stuff. But just you know, for trying to to track creators, to try to track uh, just about anything you'd really want to track. It One of the things really I really keeps us from sounding stupid a lot. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. But I mean, it, it's just a fantastic uh, resource for just about anything you'd want to do. Uh, you know, comic related from tracking. Uh, you know the history of a certain writer or artist, or uh, the, some of the characters, or anything like that. But what, the thing that really hooked me on the site back when uh, I think it was Michael Bailey that that put me onto the site was that he's got this feature in there that basically it, it's like going back in time to the old spinner rack, and you can actually look at a page that'll show you everything that was on the rack at a, in a given month. Oh, wow. And that's just, in, that's fantastic. And you can do it by company. So you can just look at like, say Marvel books that were on the rack, like in, you know, March of 1986 or something, or you can do it by everything that was out on that particular month. And it's just, I mean, that's an incredible resource and it breaks it down, you know, very finely to, you know, what was out exactly when, and that's fun just, you know, if you lived through any era when books were out like that, to just go back and flip through and go, oh, yeah, that's right. Though, you know, these two books were on the stand at the same time. And so that's just I love it. It's a really, really awesome resource. I mean, very meticulously researched. Good stuff. Yep. And it ain't going to be nothing compared to two true freaks dot com. <laughs> Where you can learn everything in the world about two true freaks. Oh, no. <laughs> well, not everything in the world. That, that, gonna... that, that plot of land we went in on to keep the bodies in, that location will never be revealed. <laughs> I forgot where it was, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, but that's I all I got. You should have Mike do is somewhere. On like the main page or something, there should be like an Easter egg, you know. Like if you just happen to click like on the right like little dot in the background or something, it it takes you to like an Easter egg page with those old like the old Playgirl article and that that photo spread that you did. The picture of you in a, the bikini. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh! I think I'm getting a little sick. Just remember who's the master of Photoshop here. Ooh. All you guys. <laughs> so, Paul, Bill, you guys got uh, anything uh, new in the world of comics for you? Uh, oh, you got something, Bill? I'm carrying them fight. Oh, you're, you're a guest after you. <laughs> oh, uh, I recently uh, 
got the Avengers Omnibus Volume 1, which uh, has a lot of the books I will probably never be able to find or just don't want to spend the money for anymore for my Avengers collection. So i got to go back. I, I think with that, with, with having that, I'll have in one form or another a physical copy of um, all the Volume 1 of the Avengers now. So wow. maybe maybe minus like a couple books in the 30s. But uh, that was pretty much where I left off, where I had a full run from like 35 or 37 all the way up until it ended with volume one. And I just needed everything except for like n- number one and like five, six, 15, a bunch in there. So I think I finally got a full Avengers set. Do you have a number four? No, unfortunately. Oh. Three of those. <laughs> well, you, you want one? I got one sort of keeping my desk level right now. <laughs> it's, yeah, I'm using it as a coaster. <laughs> oh. So what, tell me more about this omnibus. Is it one of those like big oversized hardcover type of things? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, oh, yeah, it's about, uh, well, the pages are o- oversized and it's about like two and a half three inches thick wow uh it's yeah it's heavy how many issues of that reprint first 30 issues wow Mm -hmm. and it's nice color nice nice quality i could sit there and read it you know because i don't like to take out my number one although i have a sad story (laughs) to tell I don't know where my number one is in my house you don't like to take out your number one (laughs) (laughs) yeah that too. We don't like yeah. you to take out your number one either, just just so you know. Plus, I can't find my number one. It's somewhere in my collection. It's lost. Make it so. Yeah. <laughs> some weight I could find my number one. <laughs> I'm always finding my number two. Oh. Uh, boy. I knew that was going to happen. Paul? Always. We're done with with Phil's number one. Yeah, we're done with his number one. I've had about his number one. Yes, because I moved on to my number two, and we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> well, I got. Uh, I was just wondering if you guys heard about the recent, the newest controversy, because I think that's my role here. Is whenever there's a controversy, I need to poke you guys with a stick and see if it annoys you the way it annoys me. About the uh, Uncanny Avengers, has anybody heard about this? I've heard of Uncanny Avengers. That's about all I have no idea. Yeah. I'm going to read you two paragraphs from an article that I found on Newsarama. In last week's Uncanny Avengers number five by writer Rick Remender and artists Olivier Copiel, Mark Morales, Laura Martin, and Larry Molinar, team leader Havoc addresses the public at a press conference. In his speech, he contrasts his views with those of his brother, Uncanny X-Men leader Cyclops, and calls the word mutant long the accepted term in the Marvel Universe for individuals born with superpowers, divisive, and the M-word. We are... We are defined by our choices, not the makeup of our genes, the character also known as Alex Summers said. The scene prompted a considerable amount of controversy and debate across message boards and Twitter, with the interpretation among some readers that the belief championed by Alex Summers was a denial of minority identity and thus assimilation, not integration. One made worse given that it was delivered by a mutant who happens to appear completely human with blonde hair and blue eyes. In a column for Comics Alliance, Andrew Wheeler wrote, Andrew Wheeler, while acknowledging that Remender clearly meant to say something positive, wrote, 
That's not good policy for any minority group, even a fictional one that exists as metaphor. It's not a position that any credible spokesman for a minority group group would advance. Is he a credible? <laughs> He's a comic strip character. Yeah, I, they well, should have. They should have said we're not. We don't want to be called mutants anymore. We want to be called amazings or something or awesomes, <laughs> you know, or something like that. That would have been funny. I, to me, it's it's like looking for controversy instead yeah. of. It's like a manufactured controversy. That's what we do these days. Is we love the drama of it, so everybody's looking for some some drama, and you never know whether it's just the fanboys picking it apart and looking for the drama, or they're you know, in re- whether they plan it ahead or in retrospect think maybe this will boost sales or something like that. I don't know. It doesn't sound juicy enough to really get people going on it, does it? To me. And yet it seems like people are getting upset by it. First of all, I think Remenda clearly meant a positive message. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got you to look at his intent a little bit before you start calling him to the carpet over this thing. Maybe you and could sec- just accuse him of bad writing more than trying to be a racist or not. I don't think well, you'd call the racist, but being insensitive or whatever. I mean, I, obviously that they're setting, setting up as the difference between assimilation and integration and i guess as a middle-aged white catholic guy who grew up in a white catholic neighborhood i'm probably not the best to speak for minorities and how they should feel about this kind of thing but it almost seems to me like stirring the pot over stuff like this just tends to increase hard feelings between groups instead of letting them all just learn to to live diversely and, and accept each other, you know? Yeah, you know, there's a way to open up a conversation. You know, I mean, I just don't think that a lot of times it's honestly an attempt to start an uh, honest conversation. I think it's more of an attempt to... You can always fall back on that if there's a big controversy saying, well, I was just trying to be controversial because I wanted to open the conversation up and get people talking about it. Which sounds fine, but it sounds fine if the people are actually talking about it and going, ah, oh, yes, I see your point, but blah, blah, blah. And counter, but it's it's not that. That's not how it works. And maybe it's just, maybe it's just the internet because it's always like that. Mm. Everything just gets picked apart. And, you know... I mean, the amount of controversy over one word that that um, in the in the Man of Steel trailer had people going nuts before the movie was even you know probably even finished, and they put out the teaser. You know, people were jumping all over it, and you have no idea how that's cut from the movie. You know, you have no idea yeah. if he actually says that right after. You know, Superman asked him that, but people were going berserk over it, you know, and I think it's, I think that's a form of fun these days. I don't think it's a form of fun. Let me ask you, let me ask you this. Tell me honestly if this sounds like this is a a little bit too much Art Bell conspiracy theory territory (laughs) or not, but I'm thinking that somebody somewhere at Marvel or DC or both finally got smart and they realized that you know comics is has been bleeding out readers for a long time and if you look back on the history of comics say for the last say 30 years or so that 
you can see where you know with a little bit of of perspective and hindsight you can now look back on particular decades and see what what defines that decade in the world of comics the the hook mm-hmm. for those decades mm-hmm. i'm starting to wonder if this one is going to be the decade of the controversy driven sales you know yeah, like in the 70s marvel was doing it with like but they would do it with like social issues that you just couldn't argue with like drug addiction you know like you know selling kids heroin there was nobody going no no, no, wait a minute i think it's a good idea to sell kids heroin i think this comic (laughs) is propaganda you know it was they were were, it would they were sort of hitting softballs with that and like you know ham-handed racial prejudice stuff but yeah these days society has gotten more complex and it's you know, I mean, I think society as a whole has, for to its detriment, most likely, in my opinion, has learned from Jerry, the Jerry Springer aspect of things. You know, I think we've entered into that phase where everybody wants to battle over things, you know. Yeah, but I, that's not really what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the fact that these companies are desperate for reader dollars at this point that oh, they, yeah. they don't have anywhere near the numbers that they used to to pull down on these books you know the the average book these days you know at the the highest end selling books you know <laughs> were below the cancellation what was considered right. the cancellation right. line just you know 10 yeah. or 15 years ago right so they're desperate to do whatever they need to do to sell more comic books well, I and think I'm wondering a- if they're doing these things where, you know, every once in a while they'll do something where, you know, Superman will suddenly announce, well, I'm not going to consider myself an American anymore or something like that so that it stirs everybody up and everybody gets all furious and, you know, and, and everything. And it becomes this big to reporters. Just exactly. So and all of a sudden, you know, everybody may be scritch, you know, screaming and bitching and having a fit over it. But. They're buying that book, and mm-hmm. then all you have to do, if uh, you know enough shit, you know shit hits the fan and really riles people up, is then you just backpedal. Oh, sorry, our bad. You know, we we messed up, and you know that writer is going to be shuffled off to some other title. Where you know you do damage control, but you've accomplished your goal. You sold your, you sold, you sold your product, and I'm yeah. wondering if because this has happened so many times in recent years, I'm wondering. I'm starting to really believe that this is becoming more and more calculated all the time. That oh, yeah. every couple of months, there's the next big controversy. There's the next big thing that's out there just riling up the fanboys. And well, it's also no um, coincidence that there's a new X-Men movie on the way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I don't well, know. And in, in retrospect, I think they might look at this as uh, I don't know. It might be a fight over the the. Um, controversy era or the reinvention era where where you know those are, seem to be the two tricks that they keep trying over and over again that probably work to an extent to where they get money but they don't work in the long run but they don't know what else to do so they just keep reboot rebooting and and stirring controversy mm-hmm. so well you see seen- oh, go ahead bill uh, the recent thing that uh, I'm trying to find it now, I just stumbled across it a few days ago. DC's introducing a transgender character in um, in Batgirl. Oh yeah, I heard about that. 
Yeah, yeah, that just fits into the controversy. It's it's part right. controversy. It's it's controversy, but it's you know it's also part of that like whatever the social issues you know. I mean, if our well, doctor yeah. was still on TV right now, there would be like a show about somebody coming. You know, Gloria's new girl that she works out with at the gym would be really a guy and archie would have a funny confrontation with him or whatever but that's i'm fine with that for television i'm fine with that for you know this generation's version of all in the family that's fine but we're talking about comic books here isn't this supposed to be escapism escapist fiction i really am not a big fan of social commentary in my comic books um, I, I think that that played itself out in the 60s and 70s. I, I really don't see the need for that. I want to see Superman punching somebody in the head and lifting well, cars over you know his head and thing. You know, I want to see superhero battles and you know flying off to other planets and that sort of. I don't want to hear about you know somebody's political agenda or any. I, well, I don't give a shit. Well, about I get enough of that on the nightly news that I don't that, need that in my funny books. You know that shit should sort of like. I mean, social commentary. I think there's better places for it in the comic world and in the independent world and mm-hmm. and people who do straight up social commentary. But in superhero comics, superhero comics sort of have to reflect the world they're in at, at some point. Why? But but they have to do it. Be, well, I mean, it's just to 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 appeal to new pe- the new people. But at the same time, when you look back at anything, movies or anything, and you're looking at them and saying, "Okay, you're getting this from the this input from the the social mores of the time and stuff," it should be in in superhero comics. In my opinion, it should be in the broadest strokes. It should just be a general feeling of it. It shouldn't be. And that's like, the problem. Let's pick that's the specific issue, yes, and, and get on and get on it, and let's let's do this. It never works. It 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 always comes off as being preachy, obvious, and because that's not the world of the superhero. The su- you can work. You you have to work in broader strokes and black, more black and whites, and stuff. And all that stuff that's going on in society is the subtext of it. It, it might it might come out in the covers of it, or the look of the comic, or the feel of it, or all this. But when you bring it out onto the surface, it kind of ruins it. It has to be there. There, there. Yeah, fav- it has to be subtle. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's subtle, subtle, and just sort of even like not e- subliminal to the point of where they're not even really knowing that they're putting it in there. You know what I mean? They're not consciously putting social commentary. It's just coming out from the kind of stories you would write in this modern, you know, to fit it into the modern context. And, wow, we're sounding, uh, we're breaking it down. See, I don't don't mind social metaphor in the story. Right. But I don't want... I don't want to be whacked over the head with the writer's political agenda. Yes. And that's what seems to happen all too often. That seems to have been from the like 70s in Marvel more than DC. But that's happened here, a lot since the 70s. It's here more lately, now. though, it's, it's not just more now. It's become what comics are a lot of the time, in my opinion. It seems like I, I can't get into a modern book these days and get too many issues into it before that uh, writer's 
uh, personal political agendas comes just blazing through. And it's it's just tiresome. It's so old. I mean, it, it happened to me recently. I, I was on a read-through of uh, Brubaker's Captain America. And that book starts so strong, and then it just goes off into left field, literally left field. And it just becomes really annoying because it's like, dude, you were doing such a good job of telling me a really good Captain America story. Why did you have to start grinding your political acts? I don't give a shit about your political beliefs, I want to see Captain America battling terrorists. You were doing a good job with that. Why don't you stick with that? And more and more comics these days, I think, do that, and it's really friggin' annoying. People are, people are more polit- politicized these days, and I didn't want to bring up, but today, today was the day that the Boston Marathon got bombed. And, you know, it's, it's this horrifying thing. You, gotta, you know, it takes time to wrap your mind around you know something out of a batman movie happening in reality mm-hmm. but there were you know there there were people like on facebook i had one one person i know was linking it to illegal immigration they were like well this is all about you know if our borders weren't open and it's like we don't even know what happened yet why are we talking about illegal immigration you know and then another person was talking about like oh you know obama's going to spin this into gun control and it's like it's a bomb that went off, you know. It's like people are so politicized that they have their their issues, and 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 our culture has become so, you know, polarized and politicized that everybody just wants to. Uh, and I think on some level, some people think it's fun to just argue, and we've we've ended up with this culture of like. Everybody wants to butt heads about things that they eh, sort of three quarters know about, maybe. Right. Well, that's <laughs> you know? why I don't understand why in the world you would want to bring that into the world of comic books. Because Lord knows that, you know, I, I have my own political beliefs and everything, and uh, and you guys have yours. And I bet you if we sat down and got into serial, I know that you and I, Chris, if we sat down and got into a political discussion, We've we don't see eye to eye on, on a whole lot of issues. It's I can recall the, a couple of car rides together where we were talking uh, politics. So you pretty, know what I'm saying. I mean, I, I, I think that's one of the few things where you and I truly differ on matters of opinion is in our political beliefs. However, you and I are best friends through our mutual <laughs> love of things like comic books and Star Wars and Star Trek and something. You know, so why in if the you were president, world? dude? I'd be more concerned about no, your no, politics. No, let me finish. You that. know what I'm saying? My, my idea. I mean, what I'm saying though is, so why would you take those few things that exist in the world where you know you can have you know the most extremes on on either side will come together and sit at the same table and go you know what i love comic book x or i love star wars yeah. or i love star trek why the hell would you then take that and turn that into a political statement that's let's, going to polarize yeah, these people and get them at each other's and, throats again and, and, and by the why way the yeah let's do that Let's do this new Star Wars comic and let's make a strong statement about abortion in it. Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah. Why would and, you do that? Well, and, I, and again, if you want to do it, if you if you're a really good writer and you have these strong views and you feel like, well, I want to work it in there, work it in subtly. <laughs> work it in to the point where it's right. not hitting you over the head and it's just creating a story that maybe maybe you're going to show people 
this is the way I believe, and look, this is not unreasonable, but I'm not coming out and drawing a comic book where it's got Obama or the bombing or anything like that in there. I'm going to use superheroes, and I'm going to use them in a way where it's subtle to the point where people reading it aren't even going to realize that I'm making a statement. There's going to be something with that bombing in it in the comic books within three months. See, I'll give you that if you do it, and you and then you walk away from it and you get back to telling me a, a story about your character. You know, say it's Batman for example. You know, you you decide for one issue of Batman, I'm going to tell, you know, a, a, an allegor, a, allegorical tale about uh gun control. And you do it for that one story. And when it's over, you get back to Batman, you know, beating the hell out of criminals. You know, I'm I'm okay with that because then I, you know I can either love that issue, hate that issue, whatever. But it doesn't become what Batman then is about. Mm-hmm. That doesn't become the focus of the title. The X Men, and you know, forgive me, I don't really have a horse in this race anyway. When it comes to the X Men, I don't frankly give a rat's ass what they do. But I tell you, one of the things that has put me off the X Men for pretty much you know my whole comic collecting career is that I do get tired of that political bullshit with the X-Men. I understand that in vague terms, when they were created, it was supposed to be some sort of commentary about racial issues and things like that. But even Stan Lee himself said, well, you know, I only kind of sort of tied it into that. It was really about this group of superheroes, you know, that kind of felt like outcasts. I wasn't really trying to ride the coattails of the civil rights movement. It just kind of coincided. So I went like well, what that. superhero in Marvel at that time wasn't an outcast, you know, right, exactly. that was sort of their thing. But yeah, now that's true. it's become this big thing that, you know, has has mutated over time to, you know, first it was civil rights and now it's, you know, gay rights and then it's this. And it's constantly trying to be relevant and topical. And it's like, doesn't anybody else ever really get tired of that? I just don't care. I if I, I don't as to- much in the X-Men because I've sort of become, I mean, ever since I sort of, pictured the x-men is that ever since the god loves man kills yeah um See, graphic novel, what, which i love years ago you know so it's like can't you let that go now and just tell a story about these if, people if with fantastic superpowers fighting whatever or going off into whatever they do does it always have to come back to this political thing because i mean do do we not get enough of that in our real everyday waking life that we, we want to read about it in our comic books too yeah. i don't see the one, the one that i go with on that that just seemed so blatant was uh, when they did civil war because that was supposed to be marvel editorial had specifically said that was supposed to be something where they have a controversy where if you read it, you're going to see both the liberal and the conservative point of view, and you're going to say, okay, they both have valid points here. That was the goal. But the writers, and, and, and I don't want to make this, out. you know, it's not the way it came out at all. The writers, for better or for worse, had a liberal point of view, mm-hmm. and they presented it as if the liberal side was clearly right, the conservative side was just, you know, wacko maniacs, and not only did that story have that bent, which, what was that, uh, 
I think ten issues or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, it's only seven or eight. Seven, yeah. Maybe okay, seven issues of that series, which in and of itself you could say, all right, it's a seven issue series, whatever. But they had all crossovers, and it and it did reset the Marvel universe to the point where it was like Tony Stark was. You know, nobody could like that character anymore because he was the conservative guy, so he had to be presented as an a-hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was he was a douche, and you know, Cap was the hero. And 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 periodically he'd appear in somebody else's book, and they'd have to beat the crap out of him to show, look, see, the liberals are better. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Thor Thor would rip his helmet off and throw it aside, and you know, whatever, or Nova would beat him up, or or anybody, and it was you know it. Would, Purely saying, you know, if, if you're a, if you're a liberal, see, you're the good guy, and if you're a conservative, we, you know, we hate you. So why are you even reading our books? Yeah, yeah, I I get enough of that in the real world. And a long time ago, that was why I got into comic books when I was a kid because it was it was a place I could go to get away from everything. And now, as an adult, there's a lot of it. You know, it like you said, it just beats you over the head, and you know. It, my political leanings, I go a little to the left, I go a little to the right. Maybe I'm a fence sitter on some things, but I, I don't want it in my comic books. Right. I want just, I want to escape, you know, and a lot of that with some of the TV that I watch, it's the same thing. I, I don't want, you know, I don't want politics. That's probably why I watch The Walking Dead. It's pretty straightforward. You, I, you, I, I you survive. Left and I don't want to read preachy liberal comics. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't want to read. I don't want to read preachy conservative comics. It's uh, although it's not like there's a ton of them out there for me to know. <laughs> right. And, and I don't want to make like this into. A, and, I don't want to make this into like a political debate. But the the thing is, like the way politics has gone right now, it's like you have to pick a side. Right, right, and right, it, and it has to be a battle. It's almost like rooting for a sports team. Oh, it's, you know, if you're on this side of the of the fence, you have to root for that side, and it doesn't matter what they do. You have to argue that they're correct instead yeah. of trying to say, "Hey, you know, yeah, I'm a little conservative, but I agree with this and I disagree with that." Because I find that you know, I am, I do lean conservative, and but I'll there sit might down be with something that you that you go off in a different direction on, though, in well, some like if, cases. If you and I sat down, Chris, and we started talking about, like, specific political issues without getting into any political party. Ideology, yeah. I bet you we could agree on most issues without any problem, even though I lean to the, to the right and you lean right. to the left. But once you start putting in the political parties, then all of a sudden you start getting the rhetoric involved and you start getting all of this, basically, bullshit involved, and that has to prevent us from agreeing. Right. right. Well, yeah, because if if you don't buy into the whole doctrine on either side, you're an idiot. You get you get you get you get a lot of cra- you get crap from everybody. Yeah. Trust me, I know. <laughs> but well, anyway. this has been this has been the McNeil Lair Hour, and now back to Comics <laughs> Monthly Monday. Yeah, I think I've taken up enough of our time with the political controversy for this month. Oh wow, that's right. That's this was your. Uh... <laughs> Don't don't I do this like every Go other ahead. month? <laughs> wow, yeah. I got a quick well, question for you guys. I'm Any... very happy that we were able to have a civil conversation about politics. Oh, that's just because I didn't say, say much. We, we can't we can generally agree if we don't make it into a debate. I don't hate any of you guys any more than I hated you ten minutes ago. So it's awesome. That's great. I think so give each other another uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, so what's your question, Scott? <laughs> Are any of you guys caught up, or more or less caught up, with the with the goings on in the Marvel universe these days? Somewhat, eh. not at all. 
Because I keep seeing, I, I keep getting the feeling I'm not anywhere near caught up, but I'm I'm kind of trying. I'm kind of dabbling here and there with different uh, titles and stuff, but I'm still pretty far behind. Um, did, well, to be honest with you, I think the uh, the idea of the trade has totally destroyed any continuity you'll ever have in the comic world again. I mean, because I don't know, I just can't keep track. See, I, I mean, I doing, doing six-issue storylines and then everything, you know, you get this guy in one book and then he's in another book, but I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Give I, me the old days. I kind of bowed out of the Marvel U right after, uh, right after Secret Invasion. And, you know, so I've, I've read a few titles beyond that. You know, I read, you know, like I said, some recent Captain America stuff. And uh, I was really digging all the... Uh, the stuff that spun out of um, Annihilation. So, you know, I'm mm-hmm. read up on, like, Guardians of the Galaxy and all that, but they don't really relate to the overall Marvel. You know, they're kind of off in their own, their own universe, really. And Look so at our little Scott in the cosmic universe. <laughs> so, my, you know, I, I'm getting the feeling, I keep seeing these things around, you know, different message boards and stuff about... Um, the Marvel universe being rebooted or soft rebooted or something. So has that actually happened or is that just a rumor that's out there? No, it it was a very, very soft reboot. Basically what they did was they, uh, they, they restarted a lot of the series and they shuffled around the creative teams, but basically, you know, all the series went back to a number one, but the continuity wasn't destroyed. Uh, I mean, not not every series, but just about every series went back to a number one. They had a f- Fantastic Four number one. They went with and and they went with like uh, new adjectives on them because it's now the indestructible Hulk and it's right. uh, the superior Spider Man and that type of thing. Uh, Thank you know, God, Thor it's not the a- incontinent Hulk or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be coming someday. <laughs> All right, that killed that train of thought. <laughs> but the, they have maintained their continuity, though. I mean, they haven't been rebooted continuity-wise. No, no. Oh, okay, and apparently they're not going to. Yeah, That's but they've good. mashed the. They've like combined the X Men basically with the Avengers teams, and well, that's the Uncanny yeah. Avengers. Yeah, right. the Uncanny Avengers, and and then I, the whole Age of Ultron thing. I've been reading that, but I don't quite know if it's a parallel universe, if it's a timeline that's going to get rebooted, if it's, they say it's Marvel proper. The same universe. They said it's everybody's the dead. Time. But well, and then, then if, and there's already time travel elements into it. So at some point they'll go back in time and set things right. Wibbly uh, wobbly, you know, timey wimey, in, in a quantum leap fashion. <laughs> but I, I like the story better the first time when they called it Old Man Logan. Yeah. <laughs> So it's it's not. I mean, it's all right. It's not bad. I've been reading it. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to get caught up on it just from the perspective of the Guardians because I'm really looking forward to that movie a lot. And Which I, is funny because a year ago you and I were talking about it, and you like really weren't even familiar with the Guardians at all. No, I mean, you're totally into them, which is cool. Yeah. What about the old Guardians from? See, those Way are back. the ones I knew. I knew the old ones, you know, with Charlie, with Finhead and Diamond Guy and all those guys. That I, was Yondo. Those, yeah, those are their no, those are their actual names. And, no, it's not Finhead. <laughs> Finhead and Diamond Guy. So you know, and I this, knew I knew those guys. Guy. <laughs> the fat guy from Jupiter and all those guys. Yeah, Charlie, Charlie Twenty Seven, Blind uh, Ant. <laughs> exactly. It's Martin Martin's, X Yondo. Martin X Yondo. Starhawk. 
yep. or Laita, Laita, whatever, when he turns it. Yeah, whatever. And then uh, what's the chick with the red hair from Mercury? Uh, Nikki? Nikki. Nikki, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I knew those guys. But again, only in vague terms, because I, you know, I'd read oh, some so of their event, like when they'd pop up in the Avengers or something, but I never really followed them. Did you read their series in like the late eighties, early nineties? Nope. Oh, that nope. was pretty interesting. That was like an all alternate take on the future of the Marvel U. I mean, it, it looked interesting, and, and you know, at some point, if you know, if it was to fall into my lap, I'd probably check it out. But uh, it just wasn't wasn't one of those teams that. It was one of those ones like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. You know, the, comics is rife with, with characters or with teams that every couple, like the Doom Patrol. You know, every couple of years they'll pop up, they'll have a little run, and it'll get a mild measure of success, and then it'll disappear again for a while until somebody picks it back up and tries to do it all over again. And, you know, but it never quite catches on. And that's how I kind of always felt about the Guardians. Like, it wasn't a bad concept, but somehow they just couldn't ever seem to make it work and make it last. I but, don't know. That, that, that run was, uh, that was at least, what, about 70, 80 issues? Oh, was it I that think? long? Oh, yeah. Yes, I think somewhere around there. Yeah. But, I mean, it wasn't the next, you know, Spider-Man or Fantastic Four. You know what I mean? Like, like where it stuck around for, you know, forever. But anyway. Yeah. Um, I can't remember why exactly, but I finally, I guess just because the new movie is coming out and, you know, everything else that Marvel's putting out, you know, with the movies I'm familiar with. And I, you know, I, I feel like I'm familiar with the source material and I'm, I'm really looking forward to them. But the one that was a complete blind spot for me was the, the upcoming guardians movie. You know, they released that piece of, um, of concept art. And I knew most of the characters, but was like, when the hell did these guys become a team? The, these weren't the Guardians I remembered, you know? Yeah, that was well, the I, new... I think you may see your first uh, real glimpse of them as the teaser after Iron Man 3. I'm hoping because, so. Well, they were, they were, I mean, they were already moving Iron Man into the new series, so mm-hmm. well, it, it I... seems to me that they're, they're setting themselves up for the movie. I read an article about a rumor about the end thing. Uh, I don't. I won't say what I read unless you guys want me to. About what? Uh, I'd rather you didn't spoil. Okay. About what? Then the I end was... of Iron Man three. Yeah, there was a rumor oh, on a site. I, yeah, I'm curious, yeah. but no. I, I ultimately, I don't want to know. I want to be surprised. Okay, I'll I'll be quiet then <laughs> for the rest of the show. Shut up, Bill. <laughs> be quiet. <laughs> you and your Spoiler. politics. <laughs> <laughs> you ruin everything, man. Who would fight him anyway? <laughs> oh, here's another Aww. little bit of comic book news. They're going to be filming bits of Spider-Man 2 in oh, yeah. Cha Cha New York. And you're going to oh, play yeah, part of the Vulture, gonna right? <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be the Vulture. So I want to be the spoiler. I'm just going to run in and I'm going to be like, Mary Jane dies. Hey, yeah, Peter, how's it going? Uh, I was suggesting the terrible tinkerer. The wall. He needs to be wall. the wall. <laughs> the spot. You put him in black and white spotted suit. They're, they're filming right. They're filming like a mile away from where I live. Uh, right on Exchange Street, right downtown. They're, they're you, looking if, for if, people with cars. They want people with cars, and they're going to also be blowing things up. <laughs> yeah, we need your car. I don't think blowing they're blowing up, up people with cars, but. <laughs> 
Here's 50 bucks. Car, can we blow you? up your car? Oh, yeah, sure. Can I be the movie? <laughs> Holy nightmare. So we all know who Robin is, right? Short pants, bad, holy insert object gear jokes, kind of weird relationship with an older man who dresses like a bat. I know, right? So not what Batman needs. Thing is, if that's your impression of Robin, then you don't know Robin. I'm Tom Panneries, and for most of my comic collecting career, I've been a Teen Titans fan. Moreover, I've been a huge fan of Robin and Nightwing, so I've decided to take a look at those who have worn the costume in a podcast miniseries called Taking Flight. Taking Flight focuses on the life and career of Dick Grayson as he evolved from Boy Wonder to Nightwing. I'll take a look at his origin story, his time with the Teen Titans, and his evolution into Nightwing. Along the way, I'll also look at Jason Todd and Tim Drake, stopping right after Zero Hour when Dick left the Titans behind. Episodes will come out just about every week at takingflight.podomatic.com, and you can find show notes at popcultureaffidavit.com. Join me as I take a look at Comic Dumb's most famous sidekick, who is a vital part of Batman's mythos. Alright, well, so our next segment, going all the way back to what I said at the beginning of the show, we really are uh, way back there. wanting to do a tribute to uh, Carmine Infantino. So our Freaky Five for this month is all Carmine Infantino based. And when I threw this idea out to the guys, I was purposely vague because I wanted everybody to kind of interpret that in their own way. So in broad strokes, this is a Freaky Five about Carmine Infantino, and I'm sure everybody has brought their own unique uh, spin to this. So yeah. who wants to go first? I'll go first. All right. Because as I've made it clear, I think I've mentioned several times on this show, I have never really been a big Carmine Infantino art fan. Uh, I remember when he came over to Marvel – in the 70s, and he started drawing Nova, and he started drawing, uh, I couldn't even tell you off the top of it, I think he drew Spider-Woman, a couple of yeah. other books, and I remember people talking about him and saying, you know, oh, what a great artist he was, and I would look at these books, and I just thought, no, I, I don't like this, <laughs> and I guess over the years, I've had a little bit of a difficult time separating criticism from personality. Because, you know, it's just, well, I don't like Carmine Infantino, and that's all there is to it. And then last year at uh, Mike Carbo's uh, comic book show in, in New York, uh, I, had, I had a chance, Carmine Infantino was there, and uh, I, I heard him talking to some people who were visiting, and he was so friendly and such a nice guy and such a gentleman. I, I started feeling bad that I didn't like his artwork. And uh, I... I, I kind of became a fan of the man as opposed to being a fan of the artwork if that makes sense so it was a little difficult for me to uh to come up with a top five because i really like i said i wasn't a fan of his artwork but uh, i did manage to come up with 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 a list uh two of two of my top five are comic books so i'll start with them my first one is supervillain team up number 16 featuring the red skull and the hate monger te teaming up it was just kind of a, a cool issue, and in particular, uh, I really liked the splash page, which shows uh, the Red Skull and the Hatemonger sitting at a table having dinner, and the table is actually set up over a plexiglass floor, which shows all all these prisoners of war that they have in these 
in these cells underneath the floor, basically like, uh, you know, looking up at them. And it was just kind of a really cool image. And, and I, I did like that. Uh, second one on my list is Flash number 123, which may be showing up on any of your lists. That's the Flash of Two Worlds, which I credit for basically bringing the JLA and, or the, excuse me, the JSA into the current DC universe, or at least the current DC universe of that day. And uh, I was a big JSA fan, and I, I know Scott was a big JSA fan, and uh, I, I really liked that. The next one on my list is apparently Neil Adams was brought into DC under Carmine Infantino's rule as editorial director of DC. So Neil Adams being one of my all-time favorite artists, I, I have that on my list for Carmine. Also, uh, next on my list is that he participated in creating the updated Flash costume and creating the updated Flash, and that costume really hasn't changed at all over the years and, and remains iconic to date. And the final thing on my list is that Carmine Infantino hails from Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? That's, <laughs> Forget that's about enough, it. That's enough to make him a good guy in my book. So, hey. Carmine Infantino, here's to you. <laughs> Bill? Alright, well it looks like Paul didn't step on a any of mine, so we're doing good so far, but I'm sure this my, my first one's going to step on one of your guys' because I've heard, heard you mention it in the past on uh, Star Wars M Monthly Monday, and uh, that was the fact that he could really draw Princess Leia's up upper torso or any other woman in the Star Wars in, uh, in the Star Wars universe uh, they, they always... He paid special attention. Oh yes, especially to uh, what is it, Lieutenant Jolly there in um, was yes it Star Wars Eleven with that yes. nice nice outfits and her jollies. Yes, and also say, uh, that was my number five. My 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 number four was uh, he could draw. He could really draw some facial hair, as in Crimson Jack in Star Wars Eleven. And I found that. He did two back-to-back -back issues of Iron Man. Uh, he he did some later ones, but it's in Iron Man 108. And man, Tony Stark's mustache—just classic 70s uh, power mustache in that one. I mean, he he could really do some wicked facial hair. You had the porn stash going. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And uh, my number three, which also goes along with uh, Iron Man 108 and Star Wars 11, is that he could draw technology. Now, in some of the Star Wars books, some of the technology he drew was really wonky, like the bottom of the Falcon. But there was really – he had nothing to go off of what, you know, really what the bottom of it looked like. But other shots with, like, guns and droids and everything. And I did – and in Iron Man 108, when he had Bob Wycheck inking, that's a I, I like the way that issue looks, but if you look at the next issue after, 109, I won't say who inks it, just out of kindness to the inker, but it, it, it almost looks like a totally different book, I'm like a totally different artist, just by the inking. And it, it was Terry Austin who did the inking in Star Wars 11, which mm -hmm. just looks, looks fantastic, just great. Um, my number two, and this was something that I found out, is that he was the co-creator of Barbara Gordon as the new version of Batgirl, and that was in Detective Comics 359 in January of 1967. I, I had no idea that, that he was involved in that. Mm -hmm. And uh, my number one um, is that when um, 
he was uh, editorial director. He was instrumental in having Jack Kirby come back to D.C. in the 1970s. And, and in that time was when Jack Kirby created uh, The Fourth World and The New Gods. So, That's right, and, yeah. Yeah, so that right there is my, is my top five for Mr. Infantino. Excellent. Excellent. My top five. You, 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 didn't, you didn't say excellent when I finished. <laughs> you were excellent too, Paul. Do you need a pat on the head? You were good. It was really good. Here's a star. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. I know you. You guys like Bill more than me now. <laughs> that's that's because we'll, I do bits. We'll always have a special place in our hearts for you. All right. My top five projects. My top five is projects that I'm going to best remember Carmen Infantino for. Like Paul, um, growing up, I was not a big Carmine Infantino fan. Um, but over time, I, I came to uh, appreciate him. Uh, I think I appreciate him more a- as time goes on. And now, you know, that he's passed, and I've really been pouring over a lot of his stuff, you know, for research for this episode, I, I come to realize he worked on a lot of stuff I had no idea that he had worked on. And... You know, while I'll, I'll be honest, he's probably never going to be in my, my top ten, I respect him greatly for the work that he did. I mean, he definitely had a massive, massive body of work. Um, but he had some really fantastic stuff. But um, like I say, in doing the research for this, I, I was looking back and going, oh, yeah, I forgot about, you know, I, I liked this when I was a kid. and I liked that when I was a kid. So that's kind of where my list comes from. So just, you know, the things I'm going to best remember him for. Number five, Nova. Um, I wasn't a faithful reader of Nova, but whenever I pick up issues of the original series that he had worked on, I always get a kick out of them. I always enjoy them a lot. And I understand that for him, a lot of Nova was kind of like coming home because prior to working on Nova, he had worked on Adam Strange in Strange Adventures. That's some stuff that is almost a complete blind spot to me, but I'd really like to check out. I've seen lots of images of it, but I don't think I've actually ever read any of it because I don't own any of it. But I'd like to because I really like the look of it. I like his take on that 50s sci-fi you know, projection of futuristic things. I'm always a sucker for that kind of stuff, and he was really, really good at that. Um, number four was Spider-Woman. I wasn't a big Spider-Woman fan, but again, anything that I would find... Um, you know, issues that would, you know, come my way as a kid with Spider-Woman that he had done, I generally really liked them, except like in the early stuff where she had like the, the full like skull cap and, you know, before they opened up the back of her headpiece so that her hair could flow out, I thought she looked really goofy like that. But I liked his work on that character. Um, number three was The Elongated Man. Now, like Bill with Batgirl, I didn't realize that Carmine Infantino was a co-creator of The Elongated Man. I had no idea. I just knew that one of the earliest comics I can ever remember reading or you know, owning as a kid was an issue. It had to be Detective Comics, I think. And it was at a time when DC was putting out those great big thick, I don't know if they were the 100-page issues or what, but it would be like, several different characters, several different stories in one, you know, it was an anthology book. And I remember one of the stories in there 
was an elongated man story at the time when he was wearing that that weird purple outfit that had like like the the like saggy boots and the weird gloves and stuff and there was this one issue where he went to like a log cabin where some bad guys were staked out and he stretched his ear all the way down the chimney so that he could listen in on their conversation sweet and the art was just so bizarre and so strange but i really really loved that story and it wasn't until years later that i tracked down that issue and saw it again that i was like oh now i now i know why this you know looked familiar because it was carmine infantino but you know it had been years since i'd actually seen that issue but i could always remember that you know with the look of that in my in my mind's eye and i love that story I was never a huge fan of The Elongated Man, but that's always been one of my favorite stories just because it's one of the first I ever read as a kid. Um, number two, another one that uh, I think a lot of people don't realize he had a hand in was Dead Man. Dead Man's one of my favorite comic book characters. And most people will instantly associate Neil Adams, Neil Adams with Dead yeah. Man because, you know, that's where Dead Man became famous was when Neil Adams was working on him. But in the the very first story, it was uh, Carmine Infantino that did the uh, the artwork. So he is actually a co-creator of Dead Man because he created the visual look of that character. And I think that's fantastic. Um, and then finally, of course, Star Wars. Um, his work on Star Wars was just was just awesome. Some of my absolute favorite work in uh, in all of comics, and uh, <laughs> like you guys said, a lot of it was Princess Leia's boobies. Man, that was a whole lot of it. And uh, <laughs> if you want to get a feel for just how excellent uh, Carmine Infantino was with the female form, there was a book that was put out. I'm not sure what year this book is. I don't even know how I came across this book. It just it was one of those things that just kind of wound up in my collection one day. Let's see. The copyright on this is the 2000. And it's just called The Amazing World of Carmine Infantino. And it was a soft cover book. I can't find, like, the publisher on it or anything. I picked. I think I picked this up somewhere at, like, one of those, like, one-day sales at a comic shop or something like that. But it's a really, really good book. But it's got some nudes in it by... Uh, Infantino, and uh, he draws some damn sexy women. So uh, it was it was nice to revisit that, and it's there's there's some shots in here that's basically naked Princess Leia, so that's pretty cool. That's my top five. Wow, ending with naked Princess Leia. Where am I to go? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always gonna remember the um, the story by my friend Johnny Bueno. Where he went to some train crash of a con in New York City, and Carmine Infantino was there, and he ended up hanging out with him for hours and just talking to him, and watching him in his, you know, in his. I think his son was there, you know, being sort of his handler and stuff. But people were coming up to him and just, you know, dropping down a stack of books for him to autograph, and it was obvious that he was old and kind of arthritic and stuff, and he was. Uh, he was Johnny Bueno ended up being really pissed off because he was just like people were just, you know, taking advantage of him because he was so nice, you know, he would not say no to anybody and and uh so that I always I always remember that about Carmine Infantino, but my 
top five list is all Star Wars comics. Because that's what I know him most from. So I was, I was, I was uh, very. I figured that Scott, we were gonna cross streams for sure, because I thought you would name some specific issues, but we're not. But I'm, I'm gonna get some that probably would have made your list. Um, I'm don't really have five to up, so I'm just gonna start in numerical order. Uh, number twelve, uh, Doom World. Yes. Which is, it's not the first one where Luke, it, the, the issue before this, number 11, is where Luke really ends up on the water world. But this is the first one that, you know, the bulk of the, the story takes place on the water world. And uh, it's also with uh, Terry Austin inking him. And it's just beautiful, beautiful, super detailed art. Lots of beautiful art of ships. Like sailing ships that are still technological, mixed with dragon creatures. It's beautiful. Oh yeah, the, that's that's the one with the uh, the dragon like, riders. Like the city is a bunch of ships all tied together, and yeah, right. Like the, and they're the, all the, the like sails are all, ships, but they got all lasers. dilapidated. Yep, and it, it, it's sort of like a like pre Waterworld sort of looking thing, and and but they've still got you know futuristic technology on them and blasters and stuff. And uh, yeah, and it has a touch of feel like a like a Barry Wrightson look to him. Yeah, like yeah. a horror horror look to them. Yes, yes, it's a, it's it's and it was um, and I believe it was in this storyline where the the artist team changed. This was where Infantino first, I think, showed up. Yep. So, and then my uh, my next one is uh, issue fifteen, which is Star Duel, another one with Terry Austin inking. And I always remember that one from a kid because that was a very dramatic one where, where um, Han Solo takes out Crimson Jack. Oh, when you're and his awesome yeah, they're facial hair. Yeah, <laughs> and there's some jolly in there. There's some jolly action. And uh, all right, number the next one is uh, number twenty nine, which I know is one of Scott's favorite, which is Dark Encounter yes. with Vader versus Valance the Cyborg. Oh yeah, and yeah. from this point on, all all of mine are are him with Wyatchek, mm-hmm. which they were a really good team. Yeah, they were in that they were in that Iron uh, Iron Man uh, one hundred eight that I referenced, and yeah, that was an yeah. they they were a good pairing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they seem to work well. They, they seem to work well a lot in Star Star Wars. Something that's uh, on my personal uh, wish list right now, my want list, is I recently saw it must have been eBay or somewhere. The British version, the Marvel UK version of this issue of Star Wars, where uh, Vader and uh, Valance the Cyborg fight. Have you seen that cover? No. It's awesome. I want it just for the cover because it's Vader. It's basically this same scene that's on the American one, except it's Vader like smacking Valance and he's flying backwards off the end of the pier. Oh. But it's just gorgeous. I mean, it's really nice. I'm not sure if it's an Infantino cover, but of course he he does the interior art. I would love to see that in that oversized black and white format. It's got to be just beautiful because I love that issue. Um, my last two are two in a row, and for a big part, 
most with these, it's not so much a story of these comics, it's the covers. And that's 31 and 32. 31 being Return to Tattooing, mm-hmm. which is the one with, with Luke with the stormtrooper on a dewback, you know, like on a sand dune over him. And he's like hiding under this, the sand dune. This is a beautiful cover. That is the picture for June in my uh, Star Wars, uh, Marvel Ah. Comics, Star Wars 2013 calendar. Uh, Hi, Luke. (laughs) That Luke sent me for, uh, what was that, for Christmas, I think. Yeah. I think I've seen um, t-shirts of that, too. Oh, really? Yeah. I believe I did. I believe I saw them at Star Wars Celebration 6. Maybe. I saw them somewhere. Um, and then 32 was Jawa Express, yeah. which had another goofy <laughs> but fun cover. And I I love the splash page of the opening splash page of Jawa Express, which I believe was like the, the sand uh, or the speeder just sort of lodged mm-hmm. in some sand. Yeah. Oh, that was the uh, that was the jut where they became Jawa sickles. <laughs> right. Yes. yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yep. And uh, yeah, so that's that's my top five, all Star Wars. But that's where I know Infantino most from, you know. Definitely. Well, I have, in addition to the top fives that we all did, I found today that Comic Book Resources did a greatest Carmine Infantino stories ever told top ten list. Ooh. And I will read to you the top ten in reverse order. And uh, feel free to comment as you wish. Thank you. Number number 10, Vengeance of the Immortal Villain from Flash number 137. Vandal Savage returns in this classic Silver Age tale of two worlds. Gardner Fox wrote it, and Infantino and Joe Giala did the artwork. Now, uh, <clears throat> interestingly, there was an article in Newsday newspaper uh, about no, oh, I don't know, maybe six months ago, about Joe Giala. And it turns out he is from the town I currently live in. And uh, he's in his mid-80s. And I actually reached out and tried to contact him because I found his address and everything, and I sent him a letter, but uh, no response. Aww. But but he did, he did, he was, if you if you look him up, he did a ton of Marvel, of DC uh, covers back mm-hmm. in the uh, early 60s. Uh, number nine. The Mystery of the Menacing Mask from Detective Comics number 327. The debut of the new look Batman in this issue drawn by Infantino and Joe Giella and written by John Broom. I'm not really familiar with, with what exactly they mean by the new look. Maybe it's uh, when they that, went for the kind of look from the TV show. Yeah, well, yeah, it was when he, you know, because during the... the you know the 40s and 50s especially in the 50s he had the uh that look where he he still looked very much like the bob you know what you think of as the the stereotypical bob kane drawing where he's kind of barrel chested mm-hmm. and uh you know was prone to smiling a lot that sort of thing but his i always thought it was a very bland look because he just had that big well, actually, it wasn't all that big. It was just a like a bat symbol on his chest, but it would often change sizes, and it was. I always thought it was very inconsistent. It actually looked somewhat similar to the the bat symbol um, from like the Nolan films. You know that that kind of weird, 
you know, it's not the traditional like like in the Burton films, they went back to the more you know, the, the traditional Batman symbol that, you know, I grew up with and you know, we probably we all grew up with in the in the seventies and eighties, you know, mm-hmm. with the with the yellow oval around it. Mm-hmm. That that was the new look, is that he suddenly had that that particular emblem on his chest and that was considered the new look because he was a little more muscular, a little more athletic looking and uh you know, they got rid of the whole barrel chested thing. And he had that bat symbol with the yellow circle around it. That's considered the new look Batman. Well, okay. I was reading something about that stuff too that said that also Infantino that they tried to get away from some of the uh, some of the silliness of the earlier right. Batmans and right. move towards the darker, you know, crime noir feel. So right. He's the one who started it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The next one, Scott, you uh, touched on this one. Uh, number eight is Who Has Been Lying in My Grave? Yeah. Strange Adventures, number 205. Infantino and Arnold Drake introduced Dead Man in this excellent first issue with inks by George Russos. Mm-hmm. It's got stuff. a very cool cover, which I believe is also an Infantino drawn. Uh, so I have to say, I can't say that there's nothing he's drawn that I like, because I think this is very cool looking. Is that the one of Dead Man? He's he's swinging on the trapeze, and he's just been shot? Is that the one? He's Well, it, it there's a trapeze above, and he looks like he's he looks like he's diving down. Yeah. And it says, it says uh, this man who was just murdered is our hero. His story begins one minute later. So right. I guess, yeah, he was just shot, probably. Yeah. Number seven is the blockbuster invasion of Gotham City from Detective Comics number 345. Gardner Fox and Infantino introduce Blockbuster in this mm-hmm. powerful tale with inks by Joe Giella. That was almost our Get Chris to Read for this month. Almost. I think that might have been a cool one. That's a great issue. Number six, The Wheel, Star Wars 18 through Hell 23. Yes. <laughs> Archie Goodwin, there. <laughs> Archie Goodwin, Infantino, and inker Bob Wycheck told this thrilling story of The Wheel, a space station that holds a bunch of casinos, but also has arenas where people are forced to fight against each other for the amusement of the casino attendees and for their gambling pleasure. How many quatloos? <laughs> 50 quatloos on the newcomer. 45 quatloos on the newcomer. I, I, I don't know if I ever mentioned this. I just I, what I love about that is then Kirk gives his impassioned speech about how they're just betting quatloos and it doesn't matter, and then instead of betting five quatloos, the guy says twenty quatloos. <laughs> like now all of a sudden it's okay. <laughs> number five, the planet that came to a standstill. Mystery in space number seventy-five. Gardner Fox, Infantino, and Murphy Anderson combined for this acclaimed story that had the first meeting of the Justice League and Adam Strange as they take on Kanjar Road together. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I think I've read that. And, and I was wrong before. I think I said Adam Strange was in Strange Adventures. He was in Mystery in Space. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. That who one I think in, I've read because I think was in Strange Adventures then? Strange Adventures was a... Was a um, I don't know if you'd call it an anthology. It was a... What's the term? You know, like uh, you know, like Marvel had all those books, like Tales to Astonish and stuff, Journey into Mystery, and it would be like a different story every issue until finally the heroes appeared. You know, like Thor and Hulk and stuff, and then it became their title. 
That's that's what's okay. strange. To my uh, granted, you know, I am no expert on strange adventures, but that's my understanding of it. Is that it was kind of like a house of mystery type of thing, where it was a different story or different characters every issue, and then uh, Dead Man comes along in uh, in two hundred five and took it over for for a while. Beyond Dead Man, I'm not sure who was in the title or if the if the title even survived past Dead Man. I really don't remember. Well, what little I could find here very quickly while you were talking is actually it looks like Animal Man may have been the first oh, okay. non, yeah. non uh, like House of Mystery type stories. Then Dead Man came in and took it over for a while. And then Adam Strange did take it over for a while. Oh, he did. Okay. And let's see the and then and then they went to kind of like the science fiction anthology stuff after that. Right. Yeah. Uh, number four, Gauntlet of Supervillains, Flash number 155. Gorilla, Go- Gorilla Grodd manipulates the rogues into fighting the Flash so that Grodd can take control of Barry's mind. Story by John Broom, art by Infantino and Joe Giala. This was the first time that the rogues teamed up as a unit. Number three, the million-dollar debut of Batgirl. Mm-hmm. Detective Comics number 359. Uh, what does it say? Infantino gives the world Batgirl in this debut issue, written by Gardner Fox with inks by Sid Green. That's got a really cool cover. I don't know if he drew that cover or not, but that's a you know very famous look. Don't isn't that the one where they battle the uh, the killer moth? Is he the I'm villain sure. in that story? I always I'm liked him because he's got one of the goofiest looks in in comic book villainy, but uh, <laughs> just a great character nonetheless. And I'm the killer moth. If you you know if you don't look out, I'm gonna like eat all the clothes in your closet. <laughs> <laughs> quick, quick, turn on a light. Uh, oh, oh. Uh, now hit into the wall. <laughs> 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 oh man! <laughs> Ow! <laughs> that's not. I mean, that's got to be pretty threatening. Kick him in the moth balls. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, mystery of the human thunderbolt. Showcase number four, which we're going to go into in a little bit more length in a moment. Before he gave the world Batgirl, Infantino helped give us the world, give the world the brand new Flash in this issue, written by Robert Conniger with inks by Joe Kubert. And number one, wait, 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 wait. Oh, what? Number one, number one. Hey, everybody. Number one on our list is The Flash of Two Worlds from Flash number 123. This one goes out to Bill Robinson, who does bits. (laughs) That's that's too too many hours listening to CBS FM in New York, the oldies station. Uh, One of the greatest tales... Oh, go ahead. What? I was just going to say, this was your pick for yes. Get Chris to Read, but uh, I, I I had said that I wasn't sure we should do this one only because this has been covered on a Two True Freaks related show before because uh, Mike Bailey actually reviewed this one on an episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America some time ago. But would he have reviewed it like me? I was just going to say, I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb to say Chris's review would be slightly different from Mike's. A little more brain damaged, yes. 
And the description that they give on that is one of the greatest tales of the Silver Age. This brings mm-hmm. Barry Allen face-to-face with his hero, Jay Garrick, the original Flesh. I occasionally see this argued as a classic only in hindsight due to its importance in introducing the concept of Earth 2 and bringing back all the Golden Age versions of the DC superheroes. However, it is worth noting that this was a highly acclaimed story at the time. It won all the fan awards back in 1962. Written by Gardner Fox, with art by Infantino and Joe Giala. And that's the Comic Book Resources number 10 greatest Carmine Infantino stories. Hooray! Hooray! I like that one. I like that one. You know, he, uh, he was the penciler on... I'm trying to remember what issue number it is. I want to say 199, possibly... But it was a Superman cover where it was Superman and the Flash racing for uh, the title of Fastest Man Alive. You guys remember this one? You had like yes. Batman and, and uh, some other characters on one side rooting for Superman and then like Wonder Woman and Hawkman uh, rooting on the other side for the Flash. It, that's a cover by uh, Infantino and uh, Murphy Anderson. I love that cover. A that's classic. an awesome one. Yeah, it's great. He did some really fantastic covers too. I like a lot of his cover stuff. And I, I think, in in hindsight, you know, again, like I said, I wasn't that big a fan. But when I look back on his stuff, I think a lot of his cover work is far more. I, I don't know, just dynamic. I guess would dynamic. Be the term, but yeah, but then then his then his uh, storytelling would be, uh, and and it wasn't so much that his storytelling was bad. It was his. I don't know something about. The figures, they all look just like a little bit off to me in the stories. Uh, he but was in the covers, he didn't a, seem to have that. He was definitely, he drew beefy. You know, his guys were beefy. They weren't quite what, what I always like to call barrel-chested, like, uh, like say, Wayne Boring. Now, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Wayne Boring Superman, but again, he's another one of those guys I realize that his style's not for everybody because... You know, there's a fine line between barrel-chested and fat, you know? And mm-hmm. so, so you know, that that does happen with, especially like, uh, like Infantino's Batman. Never really a fan. I, I respect the design. See, I, I think a lot of the thing with him, I think he's a great, like, layout artist. I think he's got, like you say, a very dynamic layout style. Um, I think a lot of it depends, too, on who he's teamed up with as an inker. Because the stuff that he did with uh, Murphy Anderson, or he did a lot of covers with uh, with Neil Adams, where he was the penciler and, and Adams was the inker. And it wasn't until, you know, really doing the homework for this that I realized that a lot of my favorite covers of uh you know Neil Adams Superman covers that he had a hand in them. I never even realized I had always just attributed them straight out to Neil Adams without realizing that uh Infantino was the actual penciler on a lot of those. So again, you know, really great design sense, you know, and then letting someone else kind of flesh it out a little bit. Cuz that Superman cover I just talked about, you know, with him in the Flash racing, I always thought that was a Kurt Swan and uh, Murphy Anderson cover. But no, I, looking at it now, I can see I can definitely see the Infantino in it. And when when I look at his artwork more closely, it it looks like like when you see his Silver Age work, it really fit the era and it it it, 
it, it was really, you know, just exactly what you'd look for at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's almost like he didn't make the step up from the Silver Age to the Bronze Age that well, and that's where I think I, where I was lost. I, th I think he like developed a, a different style. He just sort of developed his his style, you know, like with the with the weird shark mouths and stuff, you know, the, the sort of shark mouth effect. You know what I mean? Right. That wasn't hair. an effect in the Sil Silver Age really as much. You know, it was more traditionally no. traditionally drawn. Yeah, I, I, I like his. I personally like his traditional stuff more than his uh, stylistic stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Definitely. Well, is it time for is everybody's time? favorite? Ooh, yeah. Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. 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 All right. <laughs> this time on Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. I read Showcase Number 4, Presenting the Flash. I am an atheist, but this comic proves the existence of God. This is a reboot... Just bear with me. This is a reboot of The Old Flash and stars a guy named Barry Allen who works in a police laboratory and reads Flash comics at work, like Sean Engel. But when he <laughs> reads one, he is hit by lightning which mixes up the perfect amount of chemicals to make him into the Flash and not a smoking corpse. If that does not prove that there is a god, then WTF. <laughs> he has the amazing power to put lunch back together, run real fast, and stop stray bullets from hitting his girlfriend, like in Superman the movie. He invents an expanding Flash shoot for his first adventure. He has a fight with a supervillain, whose power is that he's really slow. He has this villain has also studied how to s screw with the Flash from Bugs Bunny by painting stuff on the wall for the Flash to run into. But then we get more of Flash's holy powers when he catches Turtle Man by running on water like Jesus. Take that, atheists! <laughs> then we have another story about Flash whooping a time traveler bank robber guy. He steals razors and test tubes and shoots flaming onion rings at the Flash. <laughs> Turns out he is a time traveler Zod-like criminal who escaped exile in his time by traveling to an earlier Earth. But for some reason, he wants to go back to his time where he is a wanted criminal. The Flash catches him by jumping through the onion rings, but then he melts his way out of jail. Flash catches him again and proves his powers of God by defying all laws of physics and logic by running real fast into the future and pushing fake future Luther ahead of him and then running back in time, proving that Superman did it the hard way in the movie. The end. <laughs> Well played. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Turtle Man has the exact same superpower that you do, Chris. What do you mean? And I like how it's written that you can tell he's talking really oh. slow. <laughs> That's what happens when the fastest man on Earth Meanwhile, the beats have surrounded the ten worlds. <laughs> slowest man. Come on, uh, come on, come on, get on with uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd he disappear to? 
Is that a bit? You know, there's sort of... <laughs> it's a bit of a bit. It's, it's, it's sort of proof that, like, okay, the Silver Age has started, but it's still pretty as pretty goofy like the Golden Age. <laughs> this is some goofy shit, man. Well, so, think about it, though. They, they actually updated... It's, it's almost like they said, you know what? The original Flesh was so stupid. He just got you know, hard water and he became the Flesh. We got to come up with something better than that. Hey, how about a lightning bolt hits these chemicals? That's yeah, realistic. Right next to a guy who's reading a Flash comic. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, so in, you know, in, in 1957, this was really updating it to modern science. This was yeah, like the ultimate scary. universe flesh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, wow. in, a, in a lot of ways for that era, it was. It really was. Yeah. Well, it's got stuff like breaking the sound barrier and stuff like that. But breaking the time barrier, that's hilarious. As if like, as if the future guy, the future guy doesn't have any superpowers yet. So you'd think yeah, well, running fast yeah. enough to break the time barrier, much less the, the sound barrier, would like crush his internal organs and make his eyeballs pop out of his head and stuff like <laughs> that. He's a bad guy. Who gives a shit? And I love it. He's he, they're Basically, they're sending him to future Earth. They're going to send him to a barren future Earth, apparently to die. <laughs> you know? and, and so he escapes that because they send him back to this Earth. Why does he want to go back to his own time? I don't get it, you know. What's he got? What that that he's escaped. He was lonely. I he's guess. Marty McFly. You left the oven on. You know, he could just he could just make a living in the used razor market, stealing razors and reselling them in in this time, and nobody would have it out for him. Yeah, it makes no sense to me. I love the classic last frame of Barry Allen staring into a test tube, though. It's just like... <laughs> I, like think... I, wonder, I wonder what my sperm count is. <laughs> <laughs> I think fast we like need me? to address the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Hey, that hey. Is, that is, not you, Bill. <laughs> I, I went on the treadmill today. Come on. <laughs> oh, I'll get back to the treadmill in a moment. Um... <laughs> It, there's no way that you can avoid the the fa- the reality of the situation is that he becomes the first superhero of the Silver Age. You know, basically creates the Silver Age, and the first person he fights is a large mentally handicapped person. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is that shit all about? <laughs> Okay, you flick. Maybe it seemed like a knock it out of the park. You know, he's the fastest guy alive. He's got to fight his opposite. And somebody went, oh, yeah, the slowest (laughs) man alive. Turtle man. I'm slow. (laughs) I mean, they really had to stretch it to have the turtle man, like, foil him, you know. (laughs) And even so, all that foiling, really, it must have taken hours for Turtle Man to to flub that boat up, you know, all the right. meticulous planning. You know, basically, it's a twelve-hour trip of him from the bank to the pier, which is like a quarter mile. How how long did it take him to paint that uh, silhouette? Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> it painted a silhouette of himself. 
You know, come on. He's got a, he's got, he's got a little tiny brush. <laughs> really like doing models. He's got a little can of paint. One little stroke at a time. I'll finish this soon. And well, well, and and uh, also, where where, where did, the Flash had? This is the Flash's first adventure. How has this guy anticipated? You know, I better prepare to fight the fastest person on Earth because there might be a superhero who's like really, really fast, like those hey, Flash comics. Everybody's think, faster than him. So I better think, think about the, the fact that this guy has one of the most praised rogues galleries ever and this is his first villain that's the first yes. guy yeah the did not get out of the park, park the first time or the second <laughs> time actually to <laughs> yeah it took a little while for them to get that right i don't know how many issues it took for them to come up with somebody decent i mean there's there's plenty of plenty of great ideas they just uh haven't stumbled upon any of them <laughs> yet in this issue there are some great ads in this issue. That's what I was I'm just gonna say. Deeply disturbed by the way that Tony Curtis is looking at me in that one. He's just stop, stop it. I don't like that. I gotta find that now. Stony Curtis. Stony Curtis. Yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of special people, this uh, the guy in the uh, in the <laughs> stop being Curtis. a skinny weakling. What? The... Oh my god. Oh yeah, Tony Curtis Just stop. is not, not yeah, looking snap very manly. Out of it. <laughs> <laughs> snap out of your weaklingness. Gain twenty five pounds of handsome power packed muscles. <laughs> <laughs> I have good looking muscles. <laughs> yeah, not those homely muscles uh, <laughs> that you get cheap. Improve your He Man looks one thousand percent. Win new strength. Win new popularity. Hmm. They have a picture of the guy standing there car- holding a girl, like carrying yeah. her. <laughs> so, you, know, you get this book, they're going to hop right into your arms. <laughs> I, fell, I fell for the, like, you know, well, this one, it's 331 stamps <laughs> for 25 cents. I fell for that when I was a kid. <laughs> Got all these stamps in the mail, and then guess what? They kept sending me stamps. On the, on the skinny ad, uh... <laughs> number two come on pal now you give me 10 pleasant minutes a day in your own home like jim did and i'll give you a new he-man body for your old skeleton frame okay and i'm not going... giving no man 10 pleasant minutes in my house <laughs> <laughs> i don't care what jim did and how about this going back to the first part of our show do you want spending money sell these popular patriotic and religious mottos <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is Dude. Nutty Putty? Is this what Silly Putty mutated? It's the precursor to Silly Putty. Yeah. Or Bounce it, hit it, hold it, stretch it. Press it oh, on a comic just... book and it steals a perfect impression in color. Look, oh, look yeah. at the pictures, right? Bounce it, hit it. They, they, it actually, uh, there's a picture of the kid sitting there with a hammer. He's got a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's, uh, I mean, it would sort of break apart when you'd hit it, you know? Um, nutty putty to me is what happens if you don't take a shower for a few days. That's what I think of when I think of nutty putty. Either that or I just, either that or it gets downright pornographic. I thought that was for Monday cheese. 
<laughs> from under cheese, nutty putty. <laughs> not a nutty buddy. If you, <laughs> you could copy, con- you don't want to confuse the two things. <laughs> if you could copy a page of comics with your scrotum, I'd have never needed silly putty at all in my life. But you'd really have to be flexible to see it. You'd need a mirror to read it, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, could you read this to me? <laughs> yeah, but then it would, you would read it. I'm going to apologize right now to the listeners who are forming mental pictures in their head right now. Sorry, guys. Hopefully they're not. <laughs> oh, they can't. I know I'm doing my damnedest not to. Hey, going back to uh, to page eight of the second story, I just realized something. Isn't this the same rocket that Supergirl comes to Earth in? There's a lot of Superman-y things going on. There's a Lois Laney moment where his girlfriend's like, boy, I sure would like to hook up with that Flash, and where he's going, hmm, maybe he's closer than you think. And the, <laughs> and the time-space guy's very Luther, Lex Luther-looking, very down to the purple yeah. outfit. Yeah, especially on page six. At the bottom, using his uh, magnifying glass. So, what did you uh, what did you think of these uh, art wise? I like the art in it. It's you know for especially for this style and this era. There's some there's some fun stuff in it. It's some of it you know. I think that time a lot of these. The comics sort of remind me of the crime comics too. Mm-hmm. You know the way they're drawn and stuff. But um, I mean, yeah, it's it's sort of hard to to judge because this is one of those comics. The, I didn't know that this was this comic, but I think I read this probably in like Secret Origins or I was just gonna say yeah, this story stuff like yeah, this was in. Uh... A book that I know that I used to sign out of our school library all the time was The Secret Origins of the Super DC Heroes. Mm-hmm. And it had that Neil Adams cover on it with basically all the heroes flying out or running out in different directions. But it was a, a great Neil Adams cover. And uh, so you probably saw the same book. I, I think we used to look at it together, actually, because yeah. it had all the best origins in it. You know, it had the... Um, you know, Batman, it had Batman, Superman, it had all of them in there. But this was the one that was in there. They had both the original Golden Age Flash, you know, with the hard water thing and all that. And then they had the first story from from this book was in there. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've ever read this backup story, the second story that was in no. there. I didn't realize that you were going to cover it or I'd have read it earlier. Yeah, the first, the first story, as soon as I read it, it's like, oh, it's this. You know, I know this by heart pretty much, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I actually I didn't remember the details of the story as much as his origin and like especially the the part where he's in the diner and he puts the the food back together and the I particularly like the art in that sequence. Yes, yeah. the, they re, he really did a good job of conveying exactly what's going on as far as you know, kind of time stopping as far as Barry Allen was concerned. Well, especially the shot with him sitting there staring at it all in the sky. In the sky <laughs> with his uh, that's a very like Steve Ditko looking frame yes. that one right there is probably because of his face. Yeah. And then and then they basically did that in the first Spider-Man movie. Yeah, they did. Mm. I like right. probably my favorite uh sequence of of the first story, the origin story is actually on uh it's on page 4. It's the three panels at the top of the page because it's so 
deceptive, you know, it's deceptively simple looking. And it's just a shot of his feet. The first one is, is him putting one foot in front of the other. And then the next one is the foot with like speed lines. And then the last one is the foot with like hella speed lines coming off. of it. It's very Superman, the movie it, it is. And it's, it, it, you can see him speeding up over the course of these three panels. And like I say, it is, it, it's very simple, but, I mean, really conveys exactly what's going on in such a simplistic way. I, it's just gorgeous. I really like that. I mean, it really conveys that, you know, in that simple three-panel structure that he's going from walking speed, to, uh, he's flat out flying, and that's really cool. I mean, that's that's a hell of a of a trick to pull off, you know, in in you know in a static medium to begin with, but especially in just three panels. Well, I, I think that's cool. What was the name of the modern artist? Was it Lichtenstein who would take comic panels and make them into his artwork? Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I think it was Lichtenstein or so, something like that. But there's there's numerous frames and panels in in this comic that you could just take out of context and make them into a piece of pop art, you know, or a t-shirt, you know, where he's getting hit by the lightning with the crack and, you know. Yeah, that's a cool shot. And the the chemicals, his hands are all twisted and stuff. There's just a lot of, you know, I'm sure they didn't know it at the time that it would look iconic, you know, but there's a lot of iconic comic art in it. Mm Mm-hmm. Some of those ones that I've seen that, like you're talking about, where they've taken a panel of comic art and made it into one of those pop art things i I think some of the ones i've seen i think have been uh infantino from like romance comics and stuff like that yeah later on on uh page six you've got the same thing again like with his feet except this time he's watching the bullet and you've got a three panel spread where he's looking at the bullet it's getting closer it's getting closer Mm -hmm. and then he acts to to move her out of the way it's like oh my god it's heading right for her head Hey, wait a minute. There's a hot dog guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a little hungry. Oh, oh, sorry about that. Sorry. Well, yeah, the, I like the cops. They're just sort of like, whoa, straight bullet. Whoa, you guys okay? All right. <laughs> yeah, there's no well, investigation. See you, see you later. Yeah, it's like a drive-by shooting and nobody's really worked up about it. I mean. Oh, wait, the turtle man? Ah, oh, that bullet wouldn't have hurt her. <laughs> it was moving too slow. Ah, you know, there's stray bullets flying everywhere. You never know where one's going to come down. <laughs> glad no well, one's hurt. Well, you know, even Slowpoke Rodriguez, he had a <laughs> yeah. gun. That's, exa- I sh- I, that's exactly how I picture his voice as being like Slowpoke Rodriguez. It's like, Senor Speedy. Speedy. No, we can't go now. <laughs> <laughs> Those weren't those weren't insensitive stereotypes at all. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Warner Brothers was always good about that. <laughs> and yet the controversy is over the uh, Uncanny Avengers. <laughs> no, oh, do was... we know what we're going to do for next month? Yeah, I was talking about doing uh, uh, Iron Man. I think it's two hundred. The one where. Uh... Where he Obadiah. battles Obadiah Stane. Yeah. Have you guys read it before? Because I don't want to spoil it if you haven't read it. You know how oh, yeah. I yeah. may have, but I don't specifically remember it. Well, I guess an Iron Man one would be good next month. Yeah, because it's got a really good punch in the gut ending to that story. 
And is there some sort of Iron Man Freaky Five to do? We could. We could do uh, like five mm, our five wow. favorite armors or something. Five favorite Iron Man stories. I don't know. I'm just trying to think. Five favorite stories, five favorite Iron Man villains, five favorite Iron Man characters. Why don't we do this? Why don't moments. We do, why don't we do it the same way that we did with Carmine Infantino and we just say the Freaky Five subject is Iron Man. Everybody take their own personal interpretation of what that means and bring that to the table. Chris is going to bring Black Sabbath. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, 2 True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite 2 True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please... Use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Be sure and tell them Large Marge sent ya. <laughs> visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find 2TrueFreaks on Facebook. Just search for 2TrueFreaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Soul Tech.